Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. And hello everybody, welcome along, it's the Cricket Badger Podcast, it's the Garavayan YouTube site as well, it's James and Lucas, as has been on many occasions in the past, and uh, it, well, I'm going to have to start with gritted teeth and say, Lucas, well done, Australia, world champions. Uh, world champions uh, in the 50 over tournament, that uh, just sounds right, doesn't it? Um, when you mention World Cups, we're, we're, the, we're the owners, it, it, I think we uh, should have our name on the trophy the Australian World Cup trophy, regardless who wins it. Um, we've won it that many times. Um, fantastic win. Fantastic tournament for Australia. And it was, I mean, I, I did some previews on this um, Cricket World Cup, Lucas, and I'd, I've not discounted Australia because I said they always seem to find a way. They know how to navigate a global tournament. As you said, they've done it five times before. That's the sixth world title. But they came into this Cricket World Cup with a little bit of, well, defeats behind them not looking particularly good. And after losing the first two matches, I pretty much had discounted them then. Yeah, the the expectation wasn't very high uh, coming in this tournament tournament um, by media. You know, it wasn't really promoted, covered really that well going into this tournament. Um, you know, back of the ashes where Australia retained, there's a little bit of backlash from that. You know, some were disappointed that they did retain. I was one myself that, was a bit disappointed they retained in win. So my expectation was the same as everyone else. Qualify, maybe win four or five games, you know, beat the uh, the minnows, no disrespect to them, and see if you can knock off the big couple of the big teams. Um, but to win the whole thing, that took me by surprise. I, I thought, personally, I thought England, India, South Africa, New Zealand were all ahead of Australia. Uh, even Pakistan on their day um, would be in front of Australia, in my opinion. So this, this took me completely by surprise. Even when they made the semis, um, I, I didn't really have any expectation that they would beat South Africa. And when they made it to the final, I still didn't have any expectations um, when they played India. So it wasn't until they won it, it really sunk in. And, and you thought, wow, they've, you know, they're you know, not much expectation yet. You know, <laughs> they've won this tournament and again. I, I actually felt really sorry for Indian supporters. I know we, we kind of knock them sometimes because they get a little bit, they go a little bit too far at times, but... It was really just a case of watching this tournament go on, winning all nine of the group stage games, looking the best team by a distance, getting through the semi-final, into that final, potentially 130,000 people there, the Prime Minister there, everything. It seemed like it was just expected that India are going to win that. And I think a lot of the Indian supporters have found it quite hard to deal with that, their day in the sunshine never came. Well, if you look in the record books, you know, who won this uh, this year's World Cup, you'll say Australia, but I don't think the best team won. I think the best team, as you pointed out, consistently was India. 
unfortunately, their bad game came in the World Cup final. Um, I kept saying and that, when you, all the way through, I kept saying that you know you can win all these group games. You get to the uh, the knockout stages, and that's when one bad day. I mean, what was the yeah. motto of the tournament? It takes one day. It takes one day to lose it, doesn't it? And it did for India. Uh, you know, they were absolutely flying. I think um, when they played South Africa, that was that was the statement game that that I thought, wow, you know, this this team is going to win it all. It'd be very tough for them to beat. The only way they would lose if they beat themselves. Uh, and unfortunately, the final, you know, we had debacle everywhere with the pitch. Um, people coming out criticising the pitch before game. Um, unfortunately, it fell, you know, against India for the first time, you'd say, in India. Just just an amazing, like, winning. Like, they just didn't win those games. They were, I, I don't think there was one game where you thought, mm, today is a bit of a struggle. They just dominated right through the whole tournament. Um, yeah, they had some collapses in some games, but they, their bowling got them completely out of trouble. And you think, well, geez, that, that, that was a game they, sh- they should have struggled against, but they came out on top easily. Um, yeah. So clear, clearly it is an upset, and the best team did not win. The best team was India. But like I said, record books will say that Australia beat India in this final. The thing is, though, it's a cup. Yeah, we got an extended group stage. And I mean, we all know, even Indians know, why we have a group stage that's like it is, because 2007... Both India, Pakistan went out in the in a kind of the early group stages, and it affects TV rights. And whether we like it or not, India are the biggest, most powerful, most financially lucrative opposition for any team in the world to play. That's why everybody wants to play India. So they try and make it so that the best teams are through to the semi-finals. There's nothing wrong with that, really. Although it did seem to go on for quite a long time this Cricket World Cup. But I, yeah, the nature of a cup tournament is that on your day whether you're Manchester City taking on Bristol Rovers or something in the FA Cup, or whether you are India taking on Netherlands in a Cricket World Cup, you can lose on one, you know, it's a one-day competition. If you have an off day, you can lose it, and that's where the Cup can disappear on you. Well, looking looking back in, during Australia's World Cup campaign, a lot of people will forget that they lost the first two games, and everybody was everybody rid them off. They thought, yeah, they're not going to make it. Little bit embarrassing how they lost the second game, uh, weren't convincing in the third game. Um, and then I think after I think Afghanistan, they really put the foot on the gas pedal and they really started to dominate teams. Uh, just uh, they they peaked at the right time. Um, and I think where they peaked, obviously, the semi final against South Africa, that's kind of the kind of the white right time you want to peak. Mm. Um, but I I was like one of those many people when they lost the first two games. I thought, oh well, no, we're not going to make sem- we're not going to make semis. We can all go home. All these star players, Steve Smith, Lubbershane Head, can play Sheffield Shield. You beauty, and uh, that's probably the worst possible um, result for me. Um, but uh, they, from a Sheffield Shield point of view, domestic point of view, um, but yeah, just got over that very quickly um, and just peaked after the Afghanistan game and just peaked at the right time. Unfortunately for India, like I said, you know, unfortunately their bad game was the World Cup final, and and you just can't afford to have bad games in these finals or semi-finals. Well, the way India played in that semi, where they smashed New Zealand, uh, I was actually fear I was actually fearful that they're going to do the same thing to Australia. Um, I think every man in the dog would have probably predicted that, but as I said, they had one bad game, um, and unfortunately in World Cup finals there is no second chances. I, I, I was thinking ahead of the, the final and indeed the semi-final because the group stage, the nature of a group stage is that when you've got nine matches, you can, as Australia did, afford to have a me- mess up a couple of matches early on and still come back and recover. Um, India could have lost two or three matches in that group stage and still come back and made the semi-finals. So the jeopardy on each of those group stages isn't so isn't so strong, is it? Obviously, if you're England and you've lost loads at the start, then you play knockout cricket from there on, and the jeopardy gets bigger as you lose more matches. But for a team like India, they could have afforded to have had a bad couple of group matches and still got through to the semi-finals. The pressure on the on the match gets bigger when you get into the knockout because there is not a second chance. You get to that semi-final, you get to the final. If you have your bad day, then you're out of the competition. And I was thinking about those Indian players, and we we all know they're treated like rock stars. They are rock stars in yeah. in, in 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 India, in the around the world. 
uh, 1.4 billion people in India just love their cricket, love these guys. They, it's, I saw a tweet from somebody the other day saying that the for Indian supporters, a lot of them, it's very much like the players are the important part of it. The team comes almost second behind your love of Virat Kohli or Rohit Sharma or Jasprit Bumrah, whoever it might be. But for each of those players, that was a massive opportunity. That World Cup final, you would go from being rock stars to you know, godlike status. If you are the team, the Indian team, that on home soil wins that Cricket World Cup when the nation's been watching you winning and playing well, you are going to be written in history as an incredible team forever. You're never going to have to buy anything in India. You're never going to have to do it. You're going to be lauded wherever you go. Yeah. And I, yeah. But I did think the flip side could be, and where the pressure comes in that final, would be knowing that and knowing the expectation and knowing what is around the corner if you do win. That can lead to some maybe negative cricket and maybe some nerves yeah. there that might not have been there earlier on in the competition. Rohit Sharma didn't show any nerves when he opened the innings. He went out there and blasted it everywhere. But I thought in those middle overs where Australia had got on top and Pat Cummins, we'll talk about him in the second, his captaincy, because you hate him, but I think he's brilliant. Um, the I thought he rotated the bowlers brilliantly. He put India under a lot of pressure. And that no-fears cricket um, that India had been playing during the tournament kind of disappeared for a little bit. Virat Kohli's played beautifully in the competition. Kaya Rahil's got some very important runs, but their partnership was quite sedate by Indian standards in the competition. And it allowed in allowed Australia to not only get on top in the match, but grow in confidence and start to believe they could win. Well, it's it's amazing what, what pressure does to you. And there's no more pressure nation than India when it comes to any format, really, because of the amount of people that you know, watch on their TV in, in India, over a billion people. There was a, a video today, uh, the Australian cricket team came home, Pat Cummins came home, um, and it was, it was pretty amusing um, when the video was shown. There was only about 10 people, literally only 10 people around him. I've, I found that very, uh, very, very yeah, amusing. They were, and they were people... photographers from the Australian press, yeah. weren't they? There weren't many fans there at all. No, no, that yeah, that's right. And imagine if if India would have if that tournament was in Australia, and India would have won and they would have came home, there would have been a parade. Oh, um, yeah. Millions of people. So I found I found that quite a, a bit amusing. Um, early in the week, I think it was Pat. I think I think it was Pat Cummins who made a quote saying about quietening the crowd. That yeah. in order to quieten down the crowd, you have to take wickets um, as soon as you can. And uh, well, he he did that to a tee because when when wickets did fell, the Indian crowd, you know, got quieter. You could hear a pin drop. As you said, the only one that didn't um, seem to be bothered by pressure was Rohit Sharma. And when Rohit Sharma got started, when we won the toss and bowled, and uh, Rohit Sharma hit, I think it was Stark for 15 off the off the yeah. second over, first over. I thought, okay, that's it. Um, I can uh, I can watch something else now because uh, there's no chance we're winning this because they're going to make 400. Uh, and the and and the crowd, you know, when Rohit Sharma was mate, hitting those fours, you know, it was getting louder and louder and louder, and then it would went quieter, quieter, quieter when wickets go along. So I thought, you know, that quote from Pat Cummins was very interesting, and it played out to to be in Australia's hands because the crowd did get quieter and wickets fell. Badges are furry creatures. 85% of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn-off. 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt. 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com, quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com, together we save balls. I was, I was just thinking while you were talking there as well, the, the rewards are there for you if you win as an Indian fan, but they've been battered by a lot of Indian supporters. 
Um, they've been they've been brilliant throughout this tournament. As you said, I think they've been the best side in the tournament. The way cup competitions goes, that's no guarantee that you can you're gonna lift the trophy. But Virat Coley, the most runs in the tournament. Yeah, the bowling has been absolutely exceptional. You've had Shreyas Ayers, Shubman Gill, Rohit Sharma, all scoring runs and, and and looking absolutely superb during the competition. Those players deserve a pat on the back and a kind of hard look and a, a well played. You've represented us brilliantly. Um, and you've given us a lot of joy over the last few weeks, rather than um, getting kind of the, kind of bearing the teeth of, of supporters and sticking the knife in a little bit. Those players will be feeling it at the moment. They'll they'll feel like they've let the country down. They need the country to wrap their arms around them rather than kick them. In in a way, I do I do feel a little bit bad for for the Indian players, but they've they've got a pretty short turnaround. You know, they've got a, a ridiculous T Twenty series. Uh, in the next week or two against Australia, which I think is the most pointless series known to man. Why? Why? I mean, there's a World Cup. You've just put your heart and soul into a World Cup and then you're asked to trawl off and do it again. It's mad, isn't it? Good good luck paying me to watch that. You know, I don't give a damn what you offer me. There's no way I'm watching that. You know, and it seems to me by the squads they've picked, it is a pretty full side from India, very kind of tame side from Australia. There'd be no David Warner. So they have to turn around very quickly. So maybe it will help them. Um, but at the end of the day, let's say if Australia, if India do win, Australia will say, well, you can win your series, we'll win the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure the Indian players and the, the supporters will get over it. They'll have their moment, they'll have their times in their head because, you know, they're a massively strong country. Um, they've had their disappointments this time, but yeah, it was 2013 last time they won a global ICC event. Um, yeah, the T20, uh, yeah, I think. That's, that's a long time since um, they lifted a trophy. But you're right. Much. You're right about the. You're right about the crowd in general. I think the this this year's World Cup, and I get it that outside of Indian games, the crowd's been a little bit small, sometimes a little bit poor. But in the general World Cup, I think this has been a huge success. Now they don't get the result they wanted, but I think you know the. I don't mind how how many teams are in it. That's fine. I don't mind that. Um, I think as the years go by, they extend that. Um, again, that, that's fine. I don't mind that. But I think I agree with you. I think as a as a whole, this tournament has been pretty successful um, with the culture, with the atmosphere. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's been a successful World World Cup without the results. I don't know if you saw my tweet the other day. The I there's a lot there's a sense in England I think that this World Cup has been awful, and that a lot of English did, England, did England even play in this tournament for real. Well, we'll get to that in a sec. But the, um, uh, yeah, the, there's a general kind of malaise about this tournament that people say it's been the, a dreadful Cricket World Cup. I don't agree with that at all. I think it's been a very good, well-organised Cricket World Cup. You know, you've got a country the size of India where um, you're trying to get the logistics of getting teams shepherded around. And, you know, I've heard no complaints from any of the teams at all in terms of the way they've been looked after over there. I think it's been very well-organised. I think, generally speaking... As a, a you know, from an English support support side of things, you, you tend to find that if you don't do very well, you lose interest in the tournament and you therefore write it off as a bad one. Um, I don't think it's been a bad one at all. I think it's just England, from an English perspective, England just did not show <laughs> in this tournament and didn't. Um, you know, one of the worst defences of a cricket World Cup I think we've ever witnessed. It's been dreadful. Um, and I, 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 as I said, I did some um, previews before the World Cup started, and I, I actually said that um, I felt for Eng- from England's perspective, it was going to go one or two ways. They were either going to click and suddenly find a way of getting themselves through to the latter stages, and then who knows? Once you get into the final four, it's almost, it's not a lottery. You have got to play well to win, but it's you know you're giving yourself a chance. Or they were going to fall apart and be dreadful, and it was the it was the latter. They would they they never, even when the pressure was off at the end and they got a couple of wins towards the end, they were still weren't playing sparkling cricket. It was um, Josh Butler kind of wandering around, looking like the world was ending, and the players I think would would have been very thankful to get on that plane and get out of there because it was just a dreadful cricket World Cup from England's perspective. I think I mean I'm sure you were smiling your head off, but I, yeah, from an English England standpoint, it was. Dreadfully disappointing. All the, all the excitement around 2019 and winning it on home soil and um, being so excited about it. And whatever you think of the 100 and kind of 
the downgrading of 50 over cricket in the county schedule, not playing enough ODIs, not being prepared enough, whatever the reasons. And I think there's probably about 20 you could list that have all had a part to play in England's um, lacklustre response. But it was just so disappointing. Well, you you misread me, James, because I was very sad when England uh, didn't make the qualification. Now, I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why, ladies and gentlemen. They would have, I would have been more happy if it was England in this final and we would have bet them. That would have uh, made my day uh, very well. So you misread me there, James. You know, while, while I'm not qualifying, you know, that's, that, that is sadder than itself. My heart absolutely bleeds. But uh, it would have been fantastic if England were actually in this final along with Australia. Um, that would have been uh, fantastic. That's what you call a backhanded compliment, isn't it? You only want England to, to progress and you could beat them. Yeah. We'll keep the Ashes this time. I thought England's bowling as a tournament was okay, actually. I thought that was okay. It was just the batting. The batting was just horrible. I don't think I've ever, think I've ever seen a team, a fancied team anyway, go to a major tournament and have so many players, so many key players out of form. You know, Johnny Burstow, Joe Root, Joss Butler um, couldn't buy a run um, for much of that tournament. They just could not find any rhythm at all. And they're key to England's ODI success. I thought Chris Wokes had a terrible start to it. He got better as as the tournament went on, but the first three or four matches for Chris Wokes with the ball were dreadful. Um, yeah, all of these experienced players, you know, you go into a major tournament, you're looking for your, 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 your big players, your experienced men, the guys that have been there before and done it, to stand up and do it again. And none of them did. You know, just simple as that, none of them did. None, none of them. I mean, you said to me prior to coming on that we were going to do some player ratings um, at the end of this about... Um, how many out of 10 for each of the England players? And I just said to you, what's the point? Yeah, none of, none of them deserve any any really um, big scores. We're just going to go through and I'm going to be listing out 0-1 and 2 for most of them because they were just um, they, they were just so far off it. Um, yeah, you hope that they're going to go away and regroup and come back stronger off the back of it. But from an English perspective as well, you look at a lot of that team and they're all cracking on a little bit. I mean, David Milan... 36, Joe Root, Johnny Bairstow, Ben Stokes, Joss Butler are all 32, 33 kind of region. Um, scroll on I, four years to the next Cricket World Cup. Are they going to be England's first 11? You, you're kind of you're making an assumption there. Their careers are going to last until they're 36, 37. And also they're still going to be as good as they are, um, I, you know, or have been in the last two, two or three years then. So there's there's a few massive ifs there. So from my perspective, Luke, because this is kind of rip it up and start again kind of sort of material now for England, maybe keep a couple of the experienced guys in there for their experience, whether that's Josh Butler as captain, although I don't think he had a very good tournament at all as captain, um, whether it's Joe Root, whoever, um, to kind of be there as the experienced guys. And then to just throw in, whether it's Ben Duckett, Zach Crawley, Rian Ahmed, whoever, um, some of the, the new brigade who are going to be there in four years' time and give them four years of preparation for the next Cricket World Cup so they can actually make a... Well, they, they can't make a worse fist of it, but they can actually go there and, and be... And, and compete and be and be better and actually look at a bright future and, and use that team in the interim as almost like a Lions team to kind of throw them in there. The ones that we, we may be fancy for test selection, the ones that we may be fancy for T20 for selection, the ones that haven't been capped just yet. Um, stick them in there and see if they can sink or swim over the next four years. And by the time you get three or four years down the line, you'll know which ones can sink or swim and which ones can represent England at uh, the Cricket World Cup 2027. But in terms of giving them player ratings, then none of them deserve more than five. And oh. most of them deserve a lot less. My name is Jacob and I sent the Badger a message. And now I'm on the podcast with this jingle. If you would like to get in touch with the Cricket Badger podcast, then tweet at cricket underscore badger. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I found actually selection very interesting, actually, from England point of view and Australian point of view. There was a quote around, I don't know who made the quote, I think it was, again, discussing Stokes, 
who said that most of their squad were mentally, you know, drained from the ashes. I don't know. I don't actually know who that was. I think it was Nasser Hussain said that. In one oh, of Nasser Hussain, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, apologies to Ben Stokes. Um, yeah, Nasser Hussain said that most of their, their Ashes players, sorry, most of their players were, were mentally, you know, exhausted by the Ashes. I don't I don't really buy that because, one, we used our test attack outside Nathan Lyon. We used our test attack. We used our middle order attack. We used Travis Head, Warner, Lubbershane, Marsh, Green. No, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but those players played in the Ashes. So I, I I think that was just a ridiculous quote by Nasser Hussain. Um, but then again, I didn't understand the selection. I don't understand why Joe Root played. I get it. He's the best player of spin, of, of spin in the England team and it's in India. But I don't think traditionally Joe Root's been a good ODO player. Same reason why I, don't, I, don't, I didn't I don't want... I massively disagree with you there. Joe Root's been well, England's best ODI bat for a long time. Um, it's a... It's a it's the same reason why I didn't want Steve Smith playing. I didn't want Steve Smith playing in this tournament either. I didn't even want Love of Shane playing in this tournament. Every, every, um, I, I think for Australia, having both Marlis and Steve Smith in there was one too many. Um, you needed, yeah. I think every team needs one glue player, whether that's your Virat Kohli, whether that's your Joe Root, whether that's your Steve Smith or Love of Shane. You know, everybody's got like at number three or four a player there that you can you can rely on. Rassi van der Dussen for South Africa, who will average you fifty or sixty through the tournament. He will get two or three hundreds, but will stay there and allow everybody else to bat around them. The problem with Rooty and the problem with England's full start was that none of them were in form. That was it was just mm. as simple as that. I don't think that's a that, that's a reflection on Jeru and his career and his ODI record. His ODI record is exceptional. I thought I agree with you with Ben Duckett. I thought I was a bit surprised that Ben Duckett played. I was a bit surprised that Ben Stokes played. Ben Duckett. I didn't. I, ben yeah, Ben Duckett. Yeah, no, no, I, no. I agree with you when when you said that Ben, ben Duckett should have probably been selected. Okay. I, I was a bit surprised at that. I was I was surprised that Ben Stokes played despite the injury and niggles he's had throughout the whole Ashes and the short amount of turnaround. I, I said um, at the time, it's not me being wise after the event. I think I've said to you on here when we've done these in the past that I wouldn't have got Ben Stokes out of out of ODI retirement. Of course, Ben Stokes is a tremendous player. Every team would want Ben Stokes in their team. But with the backdrop of his workload in Test cricket, with the backdrop of England desperately trying to get him fit again to bowl in Test cricket, so he's not just going to be a, a batter but something that can give you 15 overs and innings on a regular basis and, 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 and really contribute from that respect. On the basis that England go to India in the new year, which is the toughest tour that anybody has, going to India is, is, is hard. Uh, and they've got five test one. matches there. It was a chance, I think, to give him a rest, to get him fit, yeah. to have any surgery that he requires. And, yeah. and to basically have him start afresh in 2024 as, yeah, with, with, three or four years maybe left in him. But at the moment, he's still hobbling around and he's still, you know, he's, he's still not anywhere closer to being fully fit. They're going to, I think they're going to try and get him an operation before the the test series. But, you know, once again, you, you're kind of denying him family time there. He's going to be on crutches rather than running around with the kids. Yeah. It, it wasn't, it wasn't something England needed to do. They were, they were doing okay in ODI cricket without Ben Stokes. I just think the selection from England was, a, you know, was off, um, I know we'll get to play ratings lately, you know, shortly, but I thought Mark Wood was absolutely horrible this series. I, I thought that if there was one bowler from England that could do damage, it was Mark Wood. And he was very disappointing. His pace was down. Well, his batting was okay um, in some games, but his, his, his pace was down. Uh, just never looked right on these pitches. That, that was probably the biggest letdown for me when it comes to England was Mark Wood's performance. I think with Woody, um, he's, he's got a, he's quick, obviously. And yeah. he's got, I don't think he's got that much variation. You look at some of the, the fast bowlers, even Kutsir, who came in and kind of made his name in this tournament for South Africa, bowling quick. Um, on yeah. Rick Norkia's substitute, um, he was yeah. far more than that, wasn't he, in the end? He was far more than a bit yeah. player. Um, <laughs> but you look at Jasper Bumrah, you look at Siraj, you look at the, the pace bowlers of all of the, the big sides, Mitchell Stark, they've all got variations. They've all got these white ball variations that they've crafted in T20 and ODIs. Mark Woods hasn't got that. He, he hasn't really got a great slower ball. He's not got any, he's basically fast. He can do a little bit with the ball. 
Uh, and he's what he's he bowls like he does in test matches in, in in white ball. And if he doesn't get the help from the surface, there's not a lot. And and the the very best players in the world, the Rohit Sharmas and your, your Steve Smiths, aren't that worried about pace. No, they'll they'll, they'll actually take the pace. They'll, they'll they'll use that pace to find the gaps and and to knock it away for four or six. Um, in Rohit's case, mo- mainly. But um, yeah. I think I think if Wood's going to be um, a future. ODI T20 player for England. He needs to find a little bit, a few tricks. Otherwise, um, you know, he can go for a few. I think one problem that England needs to fix is a spin department. It's no, there's no shade on um, uh, who's England spinner, Rashid. Rashid, yeah. I, yeah, I, I think he, I think he's okay, but I, I think they really missed a second spinner. I think they tried to just try to blast. Our positions out of the way, like with you said with Rokes. I, I don't even. I remember you repeatedly saying to me during the Ashes when you when you give um, Rokes a uh, passport out of England, he uh, he becomes not very good, kind of useless. And that was and that was no exception. This World Cup, he was just dreadful, absolutely oh, dreadful. Take take his passport off him. Uh, yeah. On English <laughs> on English surfaces, he is as good as anybody. Yeah, yeah. absolutely top top draw. But you compare his away record with his home record, it is chalk and cheese. Um, and in similar in, in white ball as well. I mean, we, we yeah. talk mainly about that in test cricket, but Chris Wokes overseas isn't the player he is at home. Um, I think Rush is a very good bowler, but, you know, I, I think the, there are only a few players in that England side that can come home with their heads anywhere near held high. David Milan scored runs and did himself justice. Adler Rashid bowled some good overs. There aren't too many others, I don't think you can actually really say. David Willey? Yeah, David Willey finished off on a high, didn't he? Um, yeah. I, felt, I felt sorry for David Willey, I have to say. Um, yeah. you know, I was actually going to mention him, but yeah. They, they announced all of those new contracts, and David Willey the only one that hasn't got one. Um, and I thought the way Rob Key spoke about that, actually, on the Sky interview, was almost dismissive of David Willey. I thought it was quite unfortunate that he, he did kind of almost finished his, his conversation on David Willey with a bit of a sneer. Um, didn't like that. Um, but yeah, David Willey as well. But that, that, you know, three of them. I mean, Sam Curran looked like he'd won a competition to play for England in that tournament and he got dropped very early. And if you're getting dropped out of that England side, you're doing badly. Um, <laughs> you know, the way they were the way they were playing. Um, Liam Livingston was the kind of the X Factor um, luxury player, the Glenn Maxwell kind of player in the team. Um, you know, the, a lot of the teams had got one. Well, Mark Chapman was New Zealand's. You know, somebody that's going to be batting at sort of seven-ish in the order could give you a few overs of spin or a few overs of something. Um, and Liam Livingston just was nowhere near. He, he bowled her, right? But, he, you know, his batting was dreadful. He's one of these players, Liam Livingston, who when he plays well, he's you know, absolutely box office. But his, his um, successes are few and far between and he lives off them for a long time. Um, he needs far more consistency, Liam Livingston, in that England setup um, for him to be picked. And it was bizarre for me as well. I mean, I know you obviously, the contracts that England were giving out expire at a certain time and that they need to have those discussions prior to, um, you know, announcing them again. But it just seemed quite poor planning that you announce your, uh, your new contracts in the middle of a global tournament when you are finding out quite a lot about some of the players that you've got. You wonder now if Rob Key was to sit down and, and do those again, whether he'd give um, some of the ones he's given two or three-year deals to, two or three-year deals, um, whether they'd get deals at all, whether they'd be reduced deals, um, because they they didn't really um, make a big claim for a big contract um, during the Cricket World Cup. And mm-hmm. it might have been better in, in hindsight, and this is obviously hindsight, it's easy for me to say now, I'm not involved in that, but the... When, you, when they gave out the last contracts, if they'd run them through to the end of the Cricket World Cup, they could have then used the Cricket World Cup as a little bit of a guide, certainly for the white ball contracts. Liam Livingston, has he really made a claim for a two-year deal? I'm not sure he has. Sam Curran. Um, I mean, all of these players are, on their day have won matches for England, so I'm not knocking them. They're all far better cricketers than I've ever been. But the um, yeah, you, you can't exactly justify two-year deals for some of those guys at the moment off the back of what they've they offered in India. Why didn't why didn't England send a second spinner? Like a second frontline spinner? Now obviously they had Livingston, but why didn't they Well they, they had Moen Ali, I guess he would have counted in that that respect. But I think Moen Ali's days are gone. Um yeah, he... I mean fantastic player, fantastic servant for England. 
um, lovely bloke. Um, Liam Livingston's a good guy. You know, I'm not knocking any of these guys because I don't like them as, as cricketers or people, but you can only judge them on performances. And I think uh, Moen's graph has kind of gone down um, and probably, yeah, sadly, this is probably the last we'll see of him in an England shirt. Um, and obviously, with the T20 World Cup not that far away now, um, some of these guys might just limp into that and have a chance to redeem themselves and, and to defend that that world title. But after that, I think um, you know all, all of these guys that we're talking about might have um, might have finished off in, in in terms of their England careers. Moen Ali's thirty six, thirty seven. You know, he's 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 right up there in terms of cricketing age. Anyway, still a young man in general terms, but in cricketing age, he's he's pretty much there. Um, and it's probably a time for him to see if he can um, get a couple of years of franchise cricket, build his bank balance and, and finish, um, mm. you know, have, have a, a very comfortable type retirement that he deserves. Um, so, yeah, it's got, but I mean, I, I would have, when Reese Topley went down injured and England were kind of heading out of the tournament at that stage, Reese Topley, by the way, when we're talking about ones that we can have positivity about, Reese Topley did himself no harm. You know, he had, yeah, yeah. He, he took wickets and bowled well. So that, that certainly would, take Reese Topley out of the firing line. Um, but I, I thought that was a chance because they, they call it Briding Cars. He's a good cricketer, don't get me wrong, but he's very much in the same kind of category as a lot of the, the bowlers they had out there already. I thought that was a chance to roll the dice a little bit and get Rian Ahmed out there. Um, yes. Not, maybe not even to play him because they didn't play Bryden Cars, but to get Rian Ahmed out there and get him to experience a, a global tournament maybe chuck him in against um, Netherlands or something like that and, and get him a game out there, but actually kind of further his cricketing education, if you like, and get him out there and experiencing a cricket world cup. Cause I would, you know, if everything else is equal and he continues to play and improve as he has been doing, he will be part of England's setup in four years time. So it would, it seemed that seemed a little bit of a missed opportunity that to get, um, a younger player out there to just see what it's all about and to just kind of go out there. And I mean, I know there's the, the counter argument, you're kind of bringing a younger player into a dressing room that's probably going to be quite somber and not, and not particularly happy, but it would have been a chance for me to have kind of got him an Indian pass, uh, stamp on his passport, got him out there and maybe got him a couple of games at the end of it to see, you know, just to kind of blood him and get him a few more caps. But I, I, I couldn't see the point in calling up Bride and Cast and then not playing him. It didn't, that made no sense to me. Well, it, also with with Ahmed, it would have probably been beneficial to him to get used to these pitches before the Indian series. Yeah, getting I mean, getting they, bowling. Announced the um, Test squad, but you'd yeah. imagine he's going to be in it. Well, you'd hope so. Yeah, <laughs> unless we, unless they're going to put Moen Ali again and shock us all. I think um, Moen's. I think judging by what Moen said at the end of the Ashes and what he said at the end of this tournament. Because he was saying, you know, talking about younger players coming in, exciting futures and stuff, and he didn't really seem to be talking about it with him being part of that. I think Moen's, um, I think Moen's moving on now. I'd, I'd be very surprised if we see Moen play for England again. Probably for England's sake, England's Test sake, it is better if Moen Ali does part, does retire. Well, right, he certainly won't play any more Test matches. He yeah. certainly won't play any more Test matches, Moen. Yeah. And like I say, it's it's it's, a, it's time to say thank you, Moen. You've been brilliant entertainment. You've been yeah. tremendous. But you know. The world world carries on turning, doesn't it? Every every has a sell by date. You are listening to the Cricket Badger Podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Butler's perform- performance um, as captain, uh, I know you said you want to talk a little bit about that. And um, I think when you're a captain of a side and you're expected to do well, uh, and then it kind of falls apart, a lot of pressure get and blame gets it's, onto you. It's hard, isn't it? It's yeah. tough. Yeah. yeah, and I and it showed it showed definitely like the last couple of matches. It showed his body language wasn't that impressive. His keeping wasn't that impressive. Um, the last couple of games, why he didn't drop any howling catches, um, he looked very disinterested at, at at times. How did you see his performance as as captaining? Dreadful, as captain. Sorry, dreadful. I've, I've got there's nothing I can positive I can say about it, and I don't think yeah. You know, 
looking at the interviews that Joss has done, I think he's quite down. And uh, yeah, you can understand why. I think uh, he would have had very high hopes um, as he boarded that plane to go to India. He'd have had dreams of um, holding that trophy aloft and realistic dreams at the time. Um, and nothing went right. And I think if you're a captain in a team, um, it's two things, I think. Um, you get captains of teams who are not not particularly fantastic sides. Scott Edwards for Netherlands was brilliant. You know, no. Netherlands came there and they represented the associate nations with absolute pride. They were yeah. a match for, you know, in the nine group games, I think there was probably only two of them that they got beaten quite soundly in. In every single match they competed and, no. and, and played well. They won, they won their matches well. Um, and Scott Edwards, I thought, led them very, very well indeed. And he he was an example of a of a captain who was with a team of, you know, the sum of their parts was lesser than every nation, every other nation in the in the competition, but he was adding to that with his captaincy yeah. and with the way they were together as a unit. Um, I'll, I'll speak that, I'll speak a little bit on Netherlands in a little bit, but I completely agree what you, what you're saying. So they they go home with their heads held massively high. I think um, you know Van Meekeren and uh, Baz de Leder early on in the tournament. Scott Edwards, um, that you know, I thought their their bowler and the spin bowler, whose name escapes me badly, um, who opened the bowling a lot for them. I thought he looks a real um, young talent. Yeah, they they've got a lot of um, things to look forward to. I think Netherlands, and they they were a great advert. I mean, you said said earlier about not being that bothered about how many teams were in the tournament. I think this is a tournament who, which is crying out for more teams in it. I think yeah. Um, yeah. You, you want to be having... Cr- cricket is um, a game at the moment who seems to be wanting to grow it go globally by having less teams actually playing on a global stage, which is madness. Um, nah. you, grow, you grow it globally by getting the likes of Netherlands in there. And, you know, we saw how they performed and, how, you know, they will take a huge amount from being in this Cricket yeah. World Cup. The same could have been said for Ireland, Scotland, Nepal, USA are coming good as an associate nation. There's a lot out there, UAE, and there's a lot out there that have got, um, you know, taking a, their cricket really, really, really seriously um, and have aspirations to play on stages like we saw in India. And I think if we'd had 14 teams, 16 teams out there, yes, there would have been some matches where a team was absolutely obliterated and it was so one-sided. But the flip side of that is you'd have had a, an opportunity for a Nepal to beat an India and, and cause yeah. a massive upset or, you know, and have their moment in the sunshine. And I, I just think it's, um, you, you can still get quite a lot of games in India and Pakistan by having two groups of eight or seven where they all yeah. play six matches before they get to a quarter final or something like that. It can still be a long tournament and still have a lot of matches and a lot of interest for the big nations. But you play, um, you get some of these less, you know, with all due respect, smaller nations, lesser nations, however, you know, associate nations in there and get them a chance to actually grow as as cricketers, you know, because they they tend to play against each other. Um, and you so they're learning on that at that level. But if you're then suddenly all of a sudden like Ivan Mikran bowling to Rohit Sharma in, a, in the cauldron of a, um, was it Kolkata they played there? You're learning a huge amount, aren't you, about yourself and about your skills and about what you need to improve upon. And you go away from that tournament and hopefully you do improve upon that and next time you'll be better for it. And I think, you know, there's no excuse. I think um, having associate nations in there and more of them is great. And and you find out about these nations as well. You you you, you see cricketers you'd never really come across and you, you suddenly find an absolute gem and, and kind of follow them a little bit more in the future. It's it's a way to grow the game. Grow, growing the game isn't about shrinking it down to 10 teams. Growing the game is about expanding it and getting more getting more teams involved in there. You're not going to expect any of them to potentially go there and win it, but you expect them to learn from it and be stronger and be better in the future. But going oh. back to Josh Butler, going back to Josh Butler, um, what I was trying to get to with Scott Edwards was saying that Josh Butler... Um, needed to be a captain there that, um, as you said, was captaining a team that was struggling, that was trying to get them to actually puff the chests out and go again. I don't think he's that kind of um, rallying kind of um, cheerleader mm-hmm. captain that maybe England needed in that kind of situation. He's quite a, um, I've never met Joss, but he comes across as quite a measured, you know, quiet, um, nice guy. 
and I, you know, you maybe needed somebody to be a little bit more Ben Stokesy in there. I mean, I saw a, a few pieces about was Ben Stokes good to have in that dressing room when everybody's looking up to him in the Test arena and Joss Butler's struggling as well as in the, in the White Ball arena. Maybe there was a little bit of a conflict there. I don't know, um, but yeah, you know, I don't think Joss was the right captain for that team in this event. He was brilliant about a year ago. I thought he captained in the T Twenty World Cup really well. Um, so, you know, he's certainly got something about him. But whether he was the right personality for what England needed over the last seven weeks, whatever it's been, um, well, the patently answer was no, wasn't it? It is a very different game, T20, and ODI cricket. So it, I think in ODI cricket, it's more easy to captain because there's less overs. There's kind of a – it's kind of a, a go-go-stop thing. Either you go, you go, or if you lose – Wickets, like you said, if like lose one, two, three, four wickets, um, you have to kind of stop and then go again. So I, I think it's a totally different game when you're captaining T20s comparing to ODI, ODI, ODI cricket. The one thing I noticed with Josh, Josh, sorry, um, is his keeping in general. Now, like I said earlier, I think he's like his he's attitude with his keeping per se, not his drop catches or his behind the stumps. Which I think was pretty, pretty good. Okay, pretty good. But I think his attitude, you know, you didn't really see him smiling. You didn't really see him engaging with 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 co with vice captains. I, I think Josh Butler wears his heart on his sleeve. So when things are going well, he looks positive. He looks engaged. He looks excited. When he when things aren't going well, he looks somber. He looks a little bit depressed. He looks down. So yeah, he's I, where he's visibly he shows what he's feeling. I think, and that's not always yeah. a good thing for a captain. And I think. When it comes to T20, I think you can get away with that because it is T20. Less overs, you know, everything's at a frenetic pace. So I think you can get away with that a little bit in T20. With ODI, it's, it's much it's slow. It's not test cricket. But, you know, there's it, still a lot of building phases in, in, certain, in certain parts of ODI cricket. As you said, you know, India, you know, this, this is covered by over billions of people. Oh, well, not billions, but billion people. And... When you're down with attitude or when you're not looking good, you, you can't really hide it because there's going to be at least 100 goddamn cameras looking at you. Mm. There's going to be fielders, sorry, fielders, fans chanting at you. And, you know, England is a very popular nation, you know, even inside India. So is, so is Australia. You know, David Warner and Steve Smith are very popular players inside India because uh, of IPL. You know, Josh Butler also plays IPL. Um, so it's, it's very hard to hide that attitude. Uh, and hide those feelings when you know when you're getting looked at by billions of people, and it, it it feels like it's going on forever. Like, and this is where it's easier to captain in T20 when things are going wrong in T20. You still have to play the high frenetic pace. Uh, in ODI cricket, you feel like you know when will this end? You know, blah blah blah, and all that kind of nonsense. So I, I think it's it's completely different captaining in T20 than ODI cricket. I think the tournament as well. You, you've got the ODI tournaments longer, and you, yeah. so if you if you're doing well, and you yeah. you kind of everything's snowballing in the right direction, you've got that positive feeling in the hotel. You've got everything's um, clicking in training. You go into the next match and you're winning. Um, you're kind of skipping through the tournament, thinking, "Oh, this is fun. This is. I wish we could last for longer." If you're just Butler or you know a, or a team that's doing really badly. Um, you just want it to go, you finish and you look at the calendar, you think, oh, there's still five more bloody weeks of this left yet. And we could, you know, we want to go home, you know, that there would be that, um, that temptation, wouldn't there? To just be thinking, oh God, just wish this was over. Um, it, it doesn't help that they were effectively eliminated very early in the tournament as well. So it wasn't like they, they were playing two group games or something to play for, you know, they were, you know, mathematically, of course they were alive, but it felt like probably four or five games in, they were gone. You know, they're written off, can't win it, can't even make it from here. So that also takes effect. You feel like, what's the point of playing out here? You know, we came here to win it. You know, we were we were the favourites going in, or half of the favourites, co-favourites, along with India and South Africa. You know, and we we we're not we haven't even got started, and we're and we're out. Mm. So that that can be very you know that can be very kind of in your face thing. And as you said, when it's not going well, it can it can feel forever. It can feel like just you're you're by yourself alone. Um, because when in nature, when captains aren't feeling good about themselves, 
They don't really want to open up to anybody. They just want to be kind of left alone. Leave I think me alone. Well when, it's not, when, when a captain, it's not going well for them as a captain, it actually impacts on their game as well. I don't think there's any... I think the correlation between Josh Butler's loss of form with the bat and his um, captaincy was was no coincidence. I think he was he was not playing well with the bat because he was his head's filled with captaincy. You probably, you know, knowing what a professional sportsman's like, if you if you're losing as a captain, you're probably putting even more into it. You're trying every single second of the day to try and find some magic little switch you can flick and with your tactics to get things back again. So he will have been emotionally drained by England's performance. And then that reflects on his batting. He goes out there, he'll have done loads of work in the nets. He'll have probably pinging off his bat in the nets. And as soon as he goes out there, he, he chips it to mid-off and he's gone again cheaply. And it just, yeah, it just was not a good tournament for England, full stop. It was not a good tournament you, for Josh Butler, full stop. And would, um, would, I think we should stop talking about England because they don't deserve the airtime. Just, just one. Would you, would you continue with Josh Butler as captain? Um, I was thinking that the other day. I mean, they, they gave Zach Crawley the captaincy for that. I mean, that pathetically, unnecessarily, um, almost um, rude to Ireland um, three-match series just prior to leaving for India. I mean, Rob Key said in one of his interviews, he said, "Oh, if in, if everything had been working well for us, we could have um, our preparation would have been better if we could have all come to India a little bit earlier." and got acclimatised and played on the Indian surfaces a little bit earlier. And I think, well, you could have done, because none of the players that you got out here played in that Ireland series. Because he gave that as an excuse. We were still playing in England. Well, give <laughs> Brendan McCullum and, and and another coach the the full England squad, uh-huh. take him out there two weeks earlier and have those matches, because they weren't playing against Ireland. It was a complete waste of time. Um, but <laughs> the you know, Zach Crawley is a potential candidate, I guess, to take over the ODI captaincy, because they've obviously earmarked him as being a future leader for England. I'm I'm sorry if I'm laughing at that, but I I, I can't believe Zach Zach Crawley as captain in any format. That's uh, very highly amusing. <laughs> I don't know. I think he's an intelligent guy. He's he, he knows his cricket. He's you know take away. I mean, I, and he's shown. I mean, I, I stand wouldn't by. He, what wouldn't I you like him. to see him perform first before being ODI captain? He had a decent enough Ashes, didn't he? He was the leading scorer. Fair enough. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying he's proved oh. every doubt or wrong, but I, I could you know. He went a long way to kind of showing what he can do and why England have kind of kept faith in him. They've kept a huge amount of faith in him for two years when other people maybe had two months, but that's that's a whole different debate. But I think um, I, I still don't think he's quite there as a, as a test player. I'd prefer, yeah, I mean, in all honesty, I'd prefer him to stay away from the captaincy roles until he does completely nail down that, that test um, opening um, slot. It's a tough tour to India and it's going to be a test for him. But often the openers in India get a slightly better start because they're against the new ball. It's coming off the bat a bit better yeah, yeah. before it gets softer and the spin kind of plays a part. So um, so he's got a bit of a chance there. But, you know, he, 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 I can't... Um, it'd be wrong of me to kind of continue to knock him when he's actually kind of moved in the right direction in the last 12 months. I, you know, I would have dropped him, and I stand by that. I think he he should have been dropped two years ago, gone away and played, you know, got his runs for Kent, and come back a stronger player off the back of some county runs. But what they've done is they've made him learn the game in front of the glare of the uh, cameras in Test and match cricket, and he's showing signs of starting to learn it. So, uh, you know, in that respect, uh, you know, I'm not knocking Zach Crawley at the moment, but um, um, whether he's the right person to captain England in ODI cricket is another another thing. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.